drop. Hey there, everyone. Christian Wynn, the director of Storyboard here. And you're listening to Storyboard Presents Voices of Treefort Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treefort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe. Every March, though this March we were postponed until September of 2021, but we are rebooting the festival back to March in 2022. But hey, we're still here to tell you about all things Treefort. And today we're going back into some cool stuff we did in 2020 with a writing contest through Storyfort and Treefort. And it was on the theme of the before and the after. We put that theme out there in light of the lockdown and the pandemic and some social unrest. And just asked a writer to consider that theme as they wrote some poetry, some fiction, and some creative nonfiction. And today we're going to hear from Tomas Baiza, Dina Brown, and Danny Parmenter three of our six winners. So we have them interviewed, and then we also have them presenting a reading of the story. Tomas reads his, Dina reads hers, and Danny's father is gonna be reading her poetry. So this is super cool, really great stuff, super awesome talent out there in our community, and uh, we miss you, we hope you're doing well. And yeah, we're hanging in there. It's uh, kind of a light spring rain today here in Boise, but we're, we're doing well and uh, super excited about September's 2021 festival returning. So look for Tree Fort Music Fest and Story Fort and all the other forts coming your way super soon. And here is our episode. Enjoy. All right, Christian Wynn, Storyboard Director, back again here um, with a wonderful fiction writer who's one of our winners, Tomas Baiza. And he, his story, Extra Large for the Lord, you're going to hear in about five or ten minutes here once we get done with this uh, discussion. But uh, welcome, Tomas. Thank you, Christian. Good to be here. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about you as a writer, as a Boisean, as a Boise State guy over there working away and, and all that good stuff. I've been originally from San Jose, California, and I've lived in various parts of the Midwest and Pacific Northwest. So I moved from the Bay Area to Bloomington, Indiana for my first doctoral program, but I got a master's there. And then, um, shoot, where did we go from there? And then went to sh the Chicago area for a while and then lived in Ann Arbor, worked at the University of Michigan and did a second doctoral program there, but got a master's from there too. So I had two master's degrees and I was never, ever going to go back to graduate school ever. And then uh, started work at the University of Oregon. And next thing I knew, I found myself in a doctoral program and that one stuck. I actually liked it enough to finish it. So I got two master's degrees and a doctorate. Um, and then said, I'm done. I'm done with schooling. I'll never do it again. And uh, went back to work at the University of Michigan, came here in 2013. And um, in 2019, I'm in creative writing classes because I think I want to start writing and I have no clue what I'm doing, but I definitely want to do it. And I have no idea why. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, I was just drawn. I was just drawn to it. So um, we've, we've been in Boise since 2013. Uh, I work here at Boise State. I spend a lot of time when I'm not at work, uh, writing, being a dad, being a husband, obviously, um, 
running through the foothills, one of my favorite things to do here in Boise, uh, riding. And then over the pandemic, I uh, broke down and I had been wanting to get back into bonsai for a while. And I finally just very recently decided to dive back in. So I'm, I'm spending time with trees again, which is okay. kind of a nice thing to get back to. That's pretty great. And yeah, well, tell us a little bit about your story, your winning story, Extra Large for the Lord. It's a gritty piece. It's like set in a pizza parlor and it has a little bit of like almost magical realism. Like there's some stuff going on with the Lord character here that you can tell us about with Jesus or Jesus um, <laughs> or whoever he ends up being. Uh, so it's got a kind of a cool dreamy feel to it. I'm just curious, you know, where the story came from or what you want us to know about it. Well, I think most fiction writers would say that they're in every story, right? They make up the story, but so much of it comes from things that they've experienced. But that's, I think, true on steroids for this story. This is probably the most autobiographical story I've ever written because this incident actually happened to me when I was 15 at uh, one of my first paid jobs. That's awesome. What, where did you work? And I grew up in Palo Alto myself, so maybe we were probably down there at the same time. What, uh, oh, okay. So uh, I grew up in San Jose, California, and um, on the corner uh, or near the corner of um, Story and McKee, was or outside of Capitol and McKee was um, a, a big, really ugly shopping center. Hmm. And um, right in the middle of it was a straw hat pizza. Oh, I'm not sure if you remember straw hat from back in the day. Hat. Oh, yeah. That, that and was, like after soccer games and stuff like that, we'd go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was the guy behind the counter serving up slices for all the soccer kids. So yeah. um, <laughs> nice. it, it was one of my, I think it might have been my first paid job or my second and um, I was 15 and I had no clue what I was doing and I worked with a bunch of other kids who were all mostly older than me so they were um, either seniors in high school or just graduated and hadn't figured out what they were going to do with their lives and so I was this impressionable 15 year old kid I thought I knew it all but I kind of quietly worshipped all of these older kids who worked there and I don't know how that place stayed afloat you know it was it was run by kids um <laughs> People running the registers were robbing the place blind. The rest of the crew would go into the walk-in closet and or walk-in freezer and uh, and drink beer the whole night or box wine, uh -huh. you know. So I don't know how the place stayed afloat, but it was a really busy place and super popular. It was just a, a really cool cast of characters. And I worked with this guy named Joe, Joey mm -hmm. in the story. Mm -hmm. And one night, almost exactly the way I try to describe it, or at least the way it, it solidified in my memory, um, Joey's struggling over this one ticket that he needs to call. Meanwhile, I've got pizzas that are burning and I'm, and we're all screaming at him, call the name, call the name. And so Joey just looks at us like, all right, man, you asked for it. And he says, Jesus, your pizza's ready. Pizza for Jesus, just like in the story. And, and I think the reason that story stuck with me was because, and I knew it was a special moment in the moment. I wasn't a very self-aware 15-year-old, but I knew something super special was happening was because it was packed. The whole place, it was just bursting at the seams. And this was also back when you could still smoke indoors. Mm -hmm. So the whole place is just hazy and it's packed with people and everybody's you know, being really loud. And the moment <laughs> Joe said that Jesus's pizza was ready, the whole place just went dead silent like it, it was it was like someone turned the sound off no one was talking <laughs> and and you know like several of us behind the counter knew that 
the name was Jesus. We knew uh-huh. it. And we kind of suspected that Joe did that on purpose just to be a jerk. Uh-huh. <laughs> we had been yelling at him. But the end result was that it, it filled the room, the, it filled the whole restaurant with this sense of wonder. Who's going to get up and go get this pizza? Uh-huh. And everyone just looked around, including us. Mm-hmm. And um, from the back of the room, this Mexican cowboy stands up and slowly saunters across the entire restaurant. And, you know, like 300 people just staring at this guy, you know, float <laughs> across the floor towards his pizza. And I, like I said, it stuck with me because in that moment, anything could have happened. There was there was like magic in the air and I will never forget it. And so one one day a few months ago, I was at Flying M doing revisions on the book, on the novel, mm-hmm. and I needed a break, right? I just, I was going cross-side with the scene and I couldn't figure out how to move forward. And I just started writing out longhand um, this story of what happened when I was 15 at this restaurant. It, it almost ended up turning out word for word to be the short story that you all selected. It just, it just flowed out. That's awesome. That's, that's a great, it just has a really great feel to it. I mean, it's, it does feel like your first job, you know, I have had, I've worked in pizza joints and yeah, that's kind of place. And it also felt like a youthful narrator who's got a little bit of a, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder just for being there. And he's sick of this tragically white guy, you know, Joe, Joey, and it just had a really, cool feel and that as you explained it nicely just the way it's almost like a, a scene out of a coen brothers film or something like jesus jesus is coming up to the you know kind of like you said floating towards the counter then examining his pizza and just kind of fade to black from there so yeah, yeah the, the moment when he actually got to the counter to pick up his pizza we were all so deferential to this guy except for joe joe was just being a jerk but all of us wanted so badly for this guy to not be offended because his name had just been mangled in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we were, you know, really solicitous. We wanted to make sure everything was fine. I think somebody offered him a free beer, you know, mm-hmm. like Jesus was getting the, the, the royal treatment just to pick up his pizza. But at the same time, we all really wanted to get his, his approval because we didn't mm-hmm. want him to be mad at us. And so it was as though, it was this though, as though the Lord were actually coming to get his pizza. We were all really nervous. <laughs> Yeah, and the story feels like it feels that way. It's almost like it crosses over, like I mentioned, and at least my reading of it, it crosses over into, well, maybe this is Jesus, actually. You know, it's like yeah, it's and, and I, I like wanted it. that for the story. I wanted that for the character. I, I wanted for him to be this this cynical kid who thinks he knows it all and can judge his his uh, his coworker. But when it comes down to it, he's probably going to be the one who's most changed because he needed an escape from the cynicism and this man's obvious sense of peace and, and self-awareness and comfort in himself takes him to a new level of, of self-awareness. Life isn't burning pizzas or this jerk named Joe or, you know, me walking around or the character walking through life thinking that he knows it all. There's a depth that he's never really perceived before and he sees it in the eyes of this person. Well, very cool. We're going to hear you read it to us um, here in a sec. Um, before we get to that, tell us about these uh, these two books, like a short story collection and a novel that are both forthcoming um, in 2022 or end of 2021. 2022, I think. It would be a little ambitious to hope for 2021. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful that Running Wild Press has picked up two books. The first one is a collection of short stories, and Extra Large for the Lord will be one of the stories included in that collection. And the collection will be called um, A Purpose to Our Savagery. 
that's a, a name of one of the stories in the in the collection. So I'm really excited about that. And then also a novel. Uh, interestingly, I think uh, uh, another pizza story, but it's novel length called "Deliver Me: A Potro's Accidental Guide to College Love and Pizza Delivery." Oh, nice. And and in the context of this uh, book title, "Potro" is is a derogatory term for a Mexican American who's lost his his uh, his heritage. Mm, okay. Well, we definitely look forward to those, and so we can have some of those stories and part of the novel featured at. Uh, Story Fort in 2022, uh, ideally, uh, moving forward. It's good yeah. to meet you here and a, a fellow writer and someone who's brought us a really cool story. Um, it was a 1500 word limit, which is obviously kind of difficult to work, you know, work around, but you did an amazing job and gave us Thank a you. really fun story, but also one that just seemed very real and uh, did definitely remind many of the judges of jobs that they have had. <laughs> so. Yeah, some of the some of the worst jobs I've ever had were the ones that I'm most thankful that I had because I learned so much about life and about myself. You got some good material. So here yeah. is the story. So thanks again, Tomas. Extra large for the Lord. We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. C.S. Lewis. Joey. Tragically white and clueless. Joey, who's in my English and PE classes, but thank God not trigonometry or health. Well, homeboy yanks the half-burnt order ticket from under the sizzling pizza. He squints at it and twists up his face, pale fingers wrapped around the intercom mic. Beyond him, a packed dining room of Friday night customers. Hurry up, dude, I say. Superheated pizzas rotating past my face, each time around smokier than the last. Joey's frown sinks in deeper. This name, he says. Crowding the hulking gas oven are 15 pizzas on dual rotating decks. I have zero doubt that Dante Alighieri's editor made him remove the chapter where he declared the cramped kitchen of a strip mall pizza restaurant as one of the lowest levels of hell. I sigh and slide the wood-handled peel under one particularly abused victim, his face deformed by angry welts of bubbled dough and curling anchovies. Call it out, pendejo! I heft the pizza on the peel and can't decide whether to catapult it at Joey's face or lay it on the cutting table next to the perfect pepperoni he has sliced and placed under the angry orange heat lamps. Joey's frown morphs into resistance. But I can't. The fuck can't you do, I say. Call the name or I swear to God, man. Dripping in the oven's heat, I choke on the smoking essence of incinerated bell peppers and crumbled linguiça so close to combustion that it glows like charcoal. I think about how I could be washing dishes at Bangkok Garden across the street. It's not as hot, and I'd get a bowl of Tom Kha Kai and Thai iced tea on my break. Joy shrugs. If you say so, Louise. From him, it always sounds like Louise. Keep it up, dickweed, I say. He leans to the mic, flicks the button, and side-eyes me, like, see what I'm about to do? Jesus, your pizza's ready. Extra large pepperoni for Jesus, Jesus, come on up and get your pizza. Joey says, Jesus, like one of those flabby-jowled TV preachers, the ones who convulse white-knuckled over the pulpit, armpits soaked from the faith and eyes wild with grace, amphetamines, and all the tax-deductible donations. The crowded dining room falls silent, families frozen in wonder at the outside chance they'll get to see the one and only Son of God collect his 3,000-calorie dinner on a busy Friday night. 
You ignorant as vodlijo, I say. My head spins from the smoke billowing from the oven, but I can't bring myself to get back to work, to avert my stinging eyes, to miss the closest thing to an honest-to-God advent I'll ever witness. Jesus, I mumble, stepping up to the cutting counter with the burnt medium anchovy. What, Joey says? Jesus, bro. That's how you pronounce it. Joey scratches his head. Isn't that just Mexican for Jesus? At the back of the dining room, next to the massive flat screen broadcasting the angels tied up with the devil rays in the ninth, a man stands. Two hundred eyes lock on to Jesus, Jesus, as he edges past the woman he's come with. I'd bet my entire week's minimum wage salary that her name is Maria, except this Mary is no virgin because there's an infant on her breast and a toddler on each side grinding cheap restaurant crayons into waxy crumbs that I'll have to sweep up after closing. Jesus scans the room. A hundred expectant faces turn towards him. He musses the hair of one of the toddlers and steps around the end of the long table into the aisle that leads straight to me and Joey. He is tall, barrel-chested, with a clean white button-up stretched tight over his round belly and pushed into midnight blue jeans. The sloping brim of his camel suede cowboy hat obscures his eyes, and his mouth is hidden beneath a big broom bigote that would make my mother blush. Polished brown boots whisper over the dense commercial carpeting, tough enough to withstand beer, grease, cigarette ash, blood, vomit, and the mortal sin of boxed wine. His thumbs are locked into a leather belt embossed with eagles clutching serpents in talon and beak, and perched over his crotch, a curved pewter belt buckle that shouts cien por ciento chihuahuense under each fluorescent light that he passes. Joey blinks, wide-eyed at his approach. What's happening, he whispers. Shut up, I say. Behind us, a ruddy flicker that might be the blinking orange crush sign at the bar or the first tongues of flame from the oven. I catch a whiff of brimstone, or maybe it's just ignited dough. I don't care anymore. But, Joey starts to say, and is cowed into silence when the steel caps of Jesus's boot heels click on the tiles in front of the pickup counter. He flicks the brim of his hat and smiles at the extra-large pepperoni set out before him. His broad white teeth remind me of my own, teeth my welfare insurance orthodontist once called Indian teeth before complaining to his assistant that he should charge my mother more for the extra hardware it would take to wrestle them halfway straight. Esto es para usted, I croak, and nudge the platter towards him. Muchas gracias, jovenazo, he says. Strong, calloused hands lift the aluminum platter. Laborer's hands. The hands of a carpintero. Señor, I stutter. It occurs to me, with the clarity of a ringing bell, that Señor also means Lord. Jesus pauses. The steam rising from the pizza hazes his face like incense smoke. Mande? His smile is peace. His voice love. Dark pools of millennia-old eyes pull me in. ¿En qué puedo servirle, mi hijo? He says. Okay, Christian Wynn, back with Dina Brown, who is one of our awesome before and after Story Fort contest winners. Creative writing, creative nonfiction writing, that is, for a piece called When Do You Start Saying I? I'd like to hear a little bit about you. You've told me a bit in your bio and just via our email exchanges over the months, but what are you all about as a writer, as a citizen in our community, and uh, how is the before and after treating you right now? Yeah. Thanks for having me, Christian. It's great to chat with you. 
I would not have historically described myself as a writer, but I've definitely always been a storyteller, whether it be visual or uh, through visual art um, and sometimes through through words, you know, going through some kind of rough stuff and realizing that there's definitely kind of the healing power of words and getting stories out and um, and using that as kind of a tool to to cope and move forward and reflect on um, on things that, that have been going on in my life at that point. Yeah, and it's an essay that's set um, kind of reflecting on 2019, which is there's a lot going on in your own life. Um, do you want to give us a little, you know, thumbnail sketch before we get into listening to it? Sure. So, um, so over, gosh, I'm realizing in a four month period, I had a, div- I had my mom pass away after a long battle with cancer. I had a divorce finalized and I had a global pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's a lot. Yes. It was, it was a lot. And so um, realizing that I, the, the power of words and storytelling and wanting to share my story in the hopes that it would help someone else, just because there were certain writers that I was kind of, um, glomming onto as I was kind of grappling with a lot of that and realizing, oh, well, you know, I could maybe add my voice to, um, to kind of that chorus that was happening and um, on a much smaller local level. <laughs> yeah. Who are a couple of those writers? I was curious because, yeah, we all channel or we try to channel those, you know, inspiring voices um, in, in times of uh, creation. And oftentimes in, when you're trying to like figure out what to do with difficult situations in our own writing but yeah who were some of the folks you kind of channeled and turned to um uh I love uh Brene Brown is her writing is amazing um Pema Chodron there's a book called When Things Fall Apart that Mm -hmm. was super useful as things felt like they were falling apart um (laughs) uh there's also oh gosh I'm gonna butcher her last name I think it's uh oh hold on no problem <laughs> she's going to the library folks there um, we go. <laughs> jen jen sincero was another author mm. she, she's got a book called you are a badass <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> you're channeling your own inner bad ass uh, yeah you know i had kind of lost uh lost connection with. And so um, that was, that was one that kind of really, uh, I I would say those were three books from that, aside from, you know, all sorts of fun fiction that I was reading. Those were kind of um, some books that I liked the, the voice of the authors in those. Right. And your essay, most definitely, um, as you'll hear uh, shortly, I mean, it does get into the notion of telling the stories, you know, and just telling the stories of the difficult times and with a little bit of levity here and there with your own mother's passing. Um, I think that's a really great, you know, tool in creative nonfiction um, when you're really staring down, you know, sort of the oftentimes double barrel of a writer's difficult times, like in in your essay, to have a bit of levity and, and, and kind of I don't know. Did you think about that? It's kind of, did you want the, a little bit of dark humor in there and dealing with your mother's passing? For sure. And humor is something that, uh, that my mother and I both, both shared. Um, and, uh, 
And so I also felt including that was kind of a way of speaking to her spirit um, and what she had kind of passed along to me. Um, I think you can find humor in pretty much any part of our lives. Um, sometimes it's productive, sometimes it isn't, <laughs> depending right. on how depending on how it comes out. And um, and so I was wanting to, to yeah, kind of, um, a, it's a heavy story and wanting to remind people that even in the middle of extremely heavy times, uh, there can be moments of lightness and that's that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that comes across in the essay for sure. And it's interesting too, there's like kind of, it's not quite as humorous and I mean, and not maybe get quite as detailed, um, but, the presence of your own marriage splitting up um, is sort of balanced in a an effective way. You know that that was more of like a, a personal darkness that you kind of you know gave us, but balanced against sort of um, a different kind of personal experience your father and you were going through and losing your mother. So I thought that you did a great job. That was one of the things that our judges found really endearing the way you dealt with these dual losses at the same time. And as I mentioned, that was 2019, and you were kind of entering this contest as you know about a year ago or so that we're recording this you know in march 2021 um and i guess since that time i mean what is like the before and after kind of been like you not necessarily completely in light of what you wrote about in your essay but just like life as it's been for us out there as writers and people and just humans in the world this last year i mean how how's that maybe theme kind of carried over for your own life as we hopefully emerge you know sort of into some nice spring and vaccinations and you know getting back out into the world sooner rather than later yeah definitely looking forward to kind of you know stretching a little bit and uh getting back out into into life in a, in a different way um I have uh, I have definitely continued uh, being creative over over the past year. Uh, creativity is something that has always um, always been a part of my life as far back as I can remember, and something that definitely has helped me through rough times. Um, I you know before and after that idea of looking back at kind of my creative process before and after, not only the pandemic, but also kind of this upheaval in, in my personal life. And uh, I definitely much more of a visual artist before, um, mostly 2D. But I, in looking back, kind of retrospectively, at all of the things I've created, they always definitely had kind of a narrative quality to them, and sometimes actually incorporated text. Um, so the way that that's translated for me, for a variety of reasons is um, I, I have kept writing. In fact, I've been kind of, I gave myself the goal of kind of writing one short piece a month um, around some of the, um, you know, some of them have been remembrances of, uh, you know, the, the three years that mom was um, battling cancer and kind of experiences that I had during that. Uh, things that I was going through during my divorce. Um, I'm starting now to kind of think back a little even further back with some of the stories that I'm kind of thinking about. Um, but I've also taken up cross stitch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and, I'm, and I'm realizing all of my cross stitches have text in them. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah. great. <laughs> uh, well, 
Do you have a favorite piece you want to tell us about real quick? I see behind <laughs> you some sort of like bumper sticker that says reading is sexy. Yeah. And a possible cross stitch of a woman we're on Zoom, folks, by the way. So that, we get to our home decor in the picture, but exactly. a woman blazing <laughs> a gun or kind of brandishing is the word I want to use, brandishing a gun of some sort, looks like. That's a, an alternative take on Princess Leia is what that is. What oh, that is. very nice. <laughs> a, a watercolor that someone did. Um, uh, actually, one of the um, one of the pieces that um, that I really am excited about that I did. I don't know if I've got. It was actually a quote from one of the um, one of the books. Oh, here, wait. I can bring it up. Um, from one of the books that I read. Uh, you know, I've kind of been using them as like a creative outlet and. Um, as just kind of some like visual phrases to keep in my forethought as I'm moving through my house. So the, uh, this is from um, Jen Sincero's book, You Are a Badass. And this is a paraphrase because you know, you're limited to the number of words you can get on there. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, but it's trust that the universe, this has swear words in it, sorry. That's to totally fine. That, that okay? <laughs> Bring it, yeah, <laughs> totally, no worries. Trust that the universe loves the shit out of you. Kick fear in the fucking face and head bravely into the unknown. I love that. <laughs> that should that is a great like motto right there. That should be. Yeah. Um, I go. I don't know. As we head into right, listening to your story here, maybe that's those are the words you know we should uh, keep in mind. Um, maybe just heading into story for twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two and. And imagine it's surrounded by beautiful flowers, because that's- I was going to say that's like wonderfully, I don't know, incongruous, but perfect. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like some of the socks I have, like some socks that say funny things, like, I'm going to carpa the fuck out of this day, kind of thing. So, yes. Oh, yeah, I've uh, seen Record Exchange or Flying yeah. some great one. Yep, those were a gift, so- um, Anyway, well, thanks for coming on to like give us a nice intro to your your awesome um, piece of creative nonfiction. Um, when do you start saying I? Uh, that's Dina Brown, who's going to be part of Storyfort um, in September with a couple, at least a couple of the other winners from um, the contest. So, any well, final words? Thanks for having me. And uh, even if you don't think you're a writer, you've got a story in you. So figure out some way to get it out there and share it with others. Hi, my name is Dina Brown, and I am going to read a story I wrote titled, When Do You Start Saying I? 2019 was the most difficult year of my life. It was the year that both my and my dad's marriages ended. It was ridiculously easy for us both to get married. Marrying someone of the opposite sex, there was hardly any paperwork and minimal regulations. I was quickly realizing it was going to be at least a year for each of us to untangle our lives from our spouses. No one warned me about the untangling when I got married. I don't know that I would have listened even if they had. I was in love. All of those small decisions I'd made over the last 13 years, where I'd absentmindedly wrote my spouse's name on a line on a form. Yes, put him down as my emergency contact person. Yes, I would like him to be my beneficiary. Yes, please add his name to the title. They were all coming back to haunt me. Similarly, dads were coming back to haunt him too. I sat, listening to dad talk to someone at a call center, 
He was trying to get the company to stop calling to remind Mon that she needed to reorder medical supplies. I just want you to stop calling. Yes, I'm on her HIPAA form. Okay, I'll hold. Hi, yes, I was calling to request that you stop calling me. Yes, I'm her husband. No, she can't come to the phone. Why do you have to transfer me back? Oh, okay, I'll hold. Hi, I'd like you to stop calling me because I don't need to order any more supplies from you. Well, the other person said I was. Look, I just don't want to get phone calls from you. Can you do that? Feelings of frustration and anger started to bubble up inside of me. I couldn't imagine how exhausting it was going to be for dad to have to make similar calls over and over and over. How much do you tell the person on the other end? They're just doing their job and there's no real reason to ruin their day by putting something heavy on them. Maybe telling them means you'll get connected directly with someone who can make it happen more quickly. The other thing I didn't anticipate about my marriage ending was how it would impact my language. When do I stop using we? If it's things in the past, then we still did them. But if the person I'm sharing the story with never knew me as a we, then I might not want to have to go into all the details. There's also situations where using we is too painful, and I'd rather just talk about my own life experience. I still did those things after all, so why should I drag the other half of my previous we into it? Dad and I's reasons for shifting from the we to the I phase of our lives as adults were very different. However, I could see this would be a struggle we shared. How do you make sure someone you loved doesn't disappear from your life stories while acknowledging that your life will never be the same without them? When mom was in the hospital and still able to speak, one of her nurses noted that she kept mentioning December 17th. I've got to make it to the 17th, she would say. The nurse mentioned it because it seemed oddly specific to them. I knew exactly what it meant and was grateful the nurse didn't inquire as to its significance. Earlier in my divorce process, when it became evident things were not going to be settled quickly, mom and dad promised, if circumstances allowed, that they'd be there for me for my first court date. That date was December 17th. I'd never been in a courtroom. Would I have to speak? Would I have to speak to him? I suddenly found myself grateful for my fondness of crime TV shows in a way I never thought I would be. Thanks to those, I at least knew I should rise when the judge entered the room. Even as mom lay slowly dying, she was still thinking of me and my troubles rather than her own. I like to think that my troubles were a distraction from her much greater ones. I hope knowing her daughter was on a path to a happier life brought her some relief. Seventeen was a tendril of connection to the reality she was rapidly losing a hold of. A way to escape from a reality that must have been really horrible. My marriage ended for a variety of reasons that led to a divorce. Dad's marriage ended because his wife's, my mom's, two-plus-year battle with stage four mental cell lymphoma finally came to an end in a hospital bed. She's gone. She's pushing up daisies. Her suffering has ended. 
She's closed her eyes forever. She's breathed her last breath and is now sleeping the big sleep. Her time on this planet in that form ended. Things begin and end every day, some big, some small. This story, this word, this relationship, this life. But what love is left after these things die lives on in all of us through the memories and stories that we share. Thank you. All right, Christian Wynn, director of Storyford here. Um, and we have Danny Parmenter, our first place winner of the before and after poetry genre part of our competition and we've connected on zoom after a couple failed tries or at least one failed try and it's been some months since you know we were able to connect even by email just because it's been a weird year but danny welcome <laughs> thank you thank you for having me this was super cool very yeah. excited <laughs> <laughs> i know we love your piece halfway thank you and <laughs> we can hear about some of that and one of the cool things, I mean, you did send us um, a recording like two or three months ago, probably, um, when mm -hmm. we asked for it. And then you're recording and you're reading, this is a recording of you reading your own piece, but you've recently, more recently, asked your father or your father volunteered to step in and, and read it because he's into it and he loves you. And also he's a yeah. voice actor, actor. Yeah, he's, tell us about how that actor. happened. He's a jack of all trades. He's an actor. He was in the car business forever. He's since retired, but he does voice work and always has. And he is a great voice. Um, and I grew up listening to him read me stories and it just seemed like, oh, duh, like now he should read something I wrote, you know, and I didn't connect the dots right away. But I don't know anybody who like really enjoys the sound of their own voice. And I remember just kind of being like, oh, whatever, like put on a breathe right strip because I can sound like kind of nasal. And I was like, let's just let it rip. And then and it was fine. But I just you, you'll you see that he's improved it a great deal. <laughs> yeah, I know. How do you think he improved it I mean, in your mind? And I mean, outside of it not being your own voice, I understand oh. that feeling, too, by the way. So but yeah. So how, what do you think he brought to it that we should be listening for? I just think. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe I'm biased because I love him and I love his voice, but I just feel like he elevated it. He made it more melodic and dramatic and polished and yeah. Shout out to Mark Newman. <laughs> <laughs> so is he still doing, I mean, is he out there in the world right now as like a voice actor, a voice yeah. person and or yep. an actor in general? What's he doing? Um, he was an actor in college and did really well with that. And I feel like he could pick that up in his retirement. We kind of joke about how he should do that. Um, I hope he does. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he's done, he did voice work throughout working in the car business. And um, I think he's doing little side things here and there and just like at a, at records at home. And um, yeah, so I just thought this seemed like a duh. <laughs> He'd be perfect yeah. for it. <laughs> well, I know. And I, well, I'm curious if he's read much of your other stuff or just like, tell, but first tell us about you as like, as a writer, as a poet, as an artist, as a, you know, a citizen of the, now the city of Boise, but also other parts of the Intermountain West. Hmm. Um, well, I have become, so I'm sort of newly brave as a writer. I'd say I, I have an English degree, but didn't ever take any hardly any creative writing I avoided it I dropped creative writing because 
something about that was so intimate and scary to me. And I wasn't into fiction and I wasn't going to write like sonnets about birds and stuff. And so everything I write kind of feels like a like confessional fever dream. And I think my hesitation is always like, make it not that or like you get in your head about um, something you love so much because I've, I've wanted to be a writer my whole life. Um, I just found a journal recently from sixth grade that's like, I want to be a writer. And but you get in your head about stuff like that and people who have MFAs or, you know, have been published and you haven't get in your head about, you know, don't use swear words. And it's all their preference. It's like, don't use swear words. Don't use ampersands, ellipses, M dash, like, you know, get out of here with that. Like I just, and I felt like I always had that in my head and was trying to make it be something it wasn't. And then um, sort of on this journey I've been through, I've just sort of been like, I'm just going to let it rip and try some things. And I had had a, a little bit of success and um, had started to get some things published. And so I was kind of like um, riding the fumes of that. And um, yeah, and I had had halfway that the poem that I submitted was like mm-hmm. 90% written when I saw the prompt for it, um, which was funny. It was just on like a, a notes app on my phone untitled. And I saw the prompt and it was like the before and the after and be brave. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'll be brave. Like I already had, this is so weird. It just felt like kind of serendipitous. So I was like, I'm going to submit this. And yeah. So you had this drafted, <laughs> but without the prompt already. And it'd be right, without, yeah, it was yeah. just like, oh, that's kind of spooky, cool. And like, I'll, I'll give this a shot. And I was feeling brave. And awesome. then, yeah, <laughs> didn't feel so brave. So a little while later, um, and, wow. and yeah, tried to snatch it back. Um, which is funny. And I do have to ask you about this because I, this is not the okay. first time I've ever done that. You did. Um, well, let's say that you well, let's tell the people what you okay. did. So wait, well, you confused us because as a, the story for a team of judges and just, you know, people on our, the people who are reading this, you, we went through submittable, which is this uh-huh, you know, yeah. you know, submissions play, you know, program. And it shows if it's been submitted and if it's been, uh, I guess, withdrawn basically is the word they use, you know, and, um, it was submitted and withdrawn and then submitted again, I think. And, or maybe but we were like, is no. it still alive out there? So, but no, it was, it, or it wasn't, but we like, we liked it a lot. So we like, you should yeah. submit again. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, the prompt said, be brave. I was feeling brave and I submitted it. And then two weeks later I reread it and was like, Oh my God, this is just like long winded and like too sentimental and flawed. And like, you should snatch this back. And I've, and why it was twice was because I was having glitches with my my computer. So I withdrew it twice, probably unnecessarily, <laughs> probably worked the first time, but I was like, let's get it out of here. And it's not the first time I've done that. There are other publishing entities in the world who have seen like a phantom submission for me, but I thought I deleted you like from the record. Like I thought you it was know, we have rad. a godlike influence over your, you know, being yeah, as a just, writer. We reached in and then we found your contact and like is this still alive? And <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, no, me, I'm the weirdo. And I'm really happy that you encouraged me to like let it live and let it breathe. And um, it's been, it's just cool. It feels good. It feels like I'm like 
get more courageous and get more brave as I go. And um, I think there's something that happens like when you finalize something that gives you so much insight when you stand away and you look at it and you're like, oh, I know exactly what I wouldn't do again. And you wish you could change it. And so I have this impulse to be like, never mind. But I also think you don't always get that. And I think creative people are always like adding on and changing and like, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, that's the story of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, you know, well, we, you know, I, myself um, included really enjoyed so much. I mean, look, well, the entirety of the piece and it's just very it is nostalgic is like the before and the after is you know prone to be I should I would say it reaches in outside the realms of our our more current before and after is for us you know we we wanted this prompt to be not only about sort of COVID times or even you know sort of like we was I think it was really we put the prompt out there before a lot of the racial justice issues and sort right. of um all sorts of things on the streets of our country and the world, you know, sort of um, erupted closer to later spring and summer, but it was just the feeling, of course, of this is now, there's going to be an after, and there was a before, but we're in between all that now. And I guess, how did that affect you in the writing of your piece? Um, Well outside, as you said, it was written before, well outside the confines of... um, COVID and even sort of what happened within the the summer of 2020 and all that? Well, I think the energy of 2020 was so bizarre and exhausting. And I think we were all just sort of like, what the hell is happening to our country, to ourselves? You know, it just was a weird time to be reflective. And um, so I was already kind of thinking about these things and just sort of like the journey, even just since I've been in Boise, but um, the last decade and just sort of kind of like taking stock and seeing how different I look um, after letting my hair grow out, not having dye on it for the first time. Like that was when it was just sort of like realizing a change, changes that were happening that were happening like on a personal level and country level and world wide like it just seemed like we've been in this weird and plus we're like locked down and so Mm -hmm. you have no social real interaction and I'm kind of I've kind of been anti-social the last few years anyways I like a self-imposed lockdown well I wouldn't recreate these circumstances but yeah so I just think I was I was just in a reflective moment and yeah taking stock things anyway and then yeah and I was like that's weird with the prompt seeing the prompt one day and just yeah Pulled the trigger. Yeah, very nicely done um, in the trigger <laughs> pulling. But yeah, I mean, the, just for those, we'll get to hear it in a second from your dad's um, voice. But the first stanza starts out, yeah, for the first time in years, my hair is free of dye, a lightish, who gives a fuck shade, yeah. dreadfully thin. So, and, and so yeah. who gives a yeah. fuck as one word to which I enjoyed a lot. And also just like, just the structure of the piece. And, you know, I, I think what you do really well, um, and we all thought this, you know, in reading it and just like bringing up so many wonderful specifics you'll hear in a sec here. Um, then we'll we'll put this out in the world in print form again. I think we did a few months back, but we'll do it again moving forward um, as we get closer to Story Forward and Tree Forward 2021 in September. Um, but you, you know, you've referenced the burning of Notre Dame and, 
the I mean the this sort of the photos of the black first black yeah hole, you know sort of out there in space and then just like all those small things and you reduce it in a really cool way in a very specific way to like your own youth you know sort of um at a time when they were like all oh, we always had you had year-round tan bathing suit tan lines and there were pizza rolls and pay phones <laughs> little in the dark stars on my ceiling and those kind of small things that would really 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 won us over are we you know certainly oh. me um just because it's Thank so it is nostalgic in that sort of way but i mean when you were going through the, all that maybe give us a quick glimpse into your mindset and where you went to and where you were hoping this poem would affect others to go to if you can speak to that before we move on to the actual poem itself. Sure. sure. Um, you know, I think it's just been, um, it's about my, you know, I don't think I was preemptively thinking about like writing this for a purpose because it was already kind of done. I just had to title it, but um, I, I was just kind of reflecting on my experience with depression and grief and, the death of my sister and just sort of like the weird decade decade I'd had and sort of like these old dead ends and these things that maybe aren't as effective to like help you navigate those things, whether it's booze or like compulsive joke making, which is like very much my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just started to find, you know, I, which is funny because I found this wisdom through a comedian. Do you know who Duncan Trussell is? tell us who he is okay, or they are I, mean, perfect, so. I would love to he's this incredible comedian he has a podcast called the Duncan Trussell Family Hour he also has this awesome show on uh, Netflix called the Midnight Gospel that I highly recommend okay. but it was it was through this comedian's podcast where I would hear him talk about things like you know what he was learning through Buddhism what he was learning through Buddhist psychology and meditation and Rich, you know, he introduced me, reintroduced me to Richard Alpert, who became Ramdas. Mm -hmm. And so, like, through this weird, like, line of comedy, I found, you know, and he had been through a lot and kind of shared that. And he shares it on on both his podcast and the series that's on Netflix. But, um, you know, I was finding, like, wow, this stuff is, like, really insightful and, like, really available at a secular level, which was, like, so important for me. I'm sort of, like, on the agnostic spectrum. <laughs> and so I like I needed something that was like could be a truism irrespective of religion and and so what I found in that was like oh you know uh thought diffusion is real being more self-aware is real um impulse control non-reactivity you know gratitude just started to become huge and I I did google um you know, Buddhist therapist near me. And I did, that's literal. I did find one in Boise who, and he was rad. He was the best thing to happen to me because. How's that working out you know, right now? Yes, I, these months later, oh, continue to work well, out? actually I saw him for a year. Um, I'm not currently seeing him, um, but um, he was just crucial in this, the kind of this road I've been on. And, you know, and I have a great support system. I have a wonderful husband, but like, who's been with me through everything the past decade, but like healing is really an inside job, I think. And I think I had to go through this like experience and find a wisdom that spoke to me and kind of get back to basics and like stop. And, and also I just wanted to breathe and feel like when was the happiest time and when were you fully present? Like when you're a kid, you're not 
stressing about the future. You're not obsessing over the past. You're just like fully present, like taking in whatever's coming at you. And um, you're not doing the most. Like you're not, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just wanted to let my skin breathe and my hair breathe. And I wanted to get back into nature and find some kind of like centered place in myself that I could go to whenever I need to. And that's what those things gave to me. And, you know, meditation and exploring consciousness, like through plant medicine or, Mm -hmm. um, is our right, I think. And I think it's something everyone should explore in their own way. And, um, yeah, it's just been super beneficial. So that, that was a really long tangent, but (laughs) the poem is just about that journey. And, um, you know, more specifically last, I'd say five years of, of my life and processing grief primarily, and just finding, um, you know, wisdom and experimenting with that. Well, I, yeah, and I mean, the poem itself does convey <laughs> so much of that in such, you know, this very succinct way that, you know, all the specifics and the movement from the near past to the distant past, someplace in between, you know, sort of worked really great in this piece. So Thank we'll get you. to hear it now. Um, and <laughs> give us your dad's full name so we know. Shout out to Mark Newman. Um, he has a voice that will make a Wolverine purr. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well. <laughs> well. Yeah, no, he's the best and he did a great job. Halfway. For the first time in years, my hair is free of dye, a lightish who gives a fuck shade, dreadfully thin and damaged for sure, but growing. No side effects here, no chemical cruises just fresh air and art. Both are wonderful brain sitters. But oh my God, I still remember the fuzzy distance, the endless plateaus, the time my mind hit the concrete and all my thoughts spilled out. I've definitely lost things and took things for granted and for mood. But Notre Dame caught fire the same week they showed us what a black hole looks like. And before that it was a total eclipse during summertime, and before that it was a hospital bracelet on a lifeless wrist. Everything turned to gutter ash, and I never lost the taste of flame. So I scattered the ash in a new city, googled Buddhist therapist near me, and found one. We talked about emptiness, and the last time I was free. My teeth were crooked then. I climbed stuff a lot and had year-round bathing suit tan lines. There were pizza rolls and payphones, glow-in-the-dark stars on my ceiling. My skin, hair, nails were clean, soft, bare. That's it. Do less, more. Find a picture of your ten-year-old self and carry her around with you until you remember and in case you forget. There she is, Tan shoulders, crooked smile, squinting in the sunlight, on a beach somewhere. I made her my guru and decided to let myself wander again. To the mountains, to the river, and into the darkness on a few dried grams. It's almost like I want to heal. It's almost like I might. Before it was sorrow, sickness, sickness 
slumber. Then it became self-help, science, Spotify. Now it is sunset, silence, satsang. And oh my Gaia, the thing about awakening is, once it starts, it doesn't stop. Allow it. Okay then, that was our episode. Super great stuff from Tomas, Dina, and Danny. We want to thank Tree Ford Music Fest. You can find out about all things Tree Ford at treefordmusicfest.com. We want to thank Eavesdrop Studios, E-A-S-E-Drop.com is where you can find out info on them. We want to thank Up is the Down is the for providing our theme music. And uh, we want to thank you for listening. And, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it's April here, the end of April. But uh, the fest, it looms. And soon we shall see you at the fest. But tomorrow never came.